Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is the writer, producer and director Lisa Imodino Vreelan. We get to sit down and talk all about the brand new documentary, Truman and Tennessee. For me, this is one of the best documentaries I've seen this year and it still blows my mind how much information and how much they've covered in only just over an hour and a half. It's getting rave reviews and is easily one of the best documentaries out there this year and you really do need to invest some time and go and check it out. It's astonishing. But before we delve deeper into that, let's touch base and talk about the last episode. I was joined by the film director Adam Stovill. This episode only came out just a few days ago, but the response has been huge. One of the biggest compliments I can ever take from doing this podcast is when people have listened to the episode and then gone and invested their time and money in the thing that we've discussed. It could be an album, it could be a documentary, or it could be a film. And in this occasion, a lot of people went out there and checked out A Ghost Waits. A lot of people I saw streaming it on Arrow or went out and bought the Blu-ray. That is a huge compliment. And the best thing is when I get to see people then that fall in love with it and then share it across their social media networks and talk about it. Because it means I've done my job. It means I'm doing well and spreading the word out there for these things that should be discovered. And someone like Adam Stovall, who's so hardworking, so genuine, deserves to be huge. So let's get back into today's episode. I'm joined by Lisa Imodino Vreeland, and we get to sit down and talk about documentaries, which is quite new to the Mark and Me podcast. We've not actually had a director that's come on and talked specifically just about documentaries. So this is a first, even after five years of doing the podcast. Honestly, if you're a filmmaker or you're a documentary maker or thinking about going down that route, you'll take so much from this episode. It's so inspiring. And honestly, Lisa is amazing. So I can't wait to share it with you. So here's me and Lisa talking all things documentaries. So Lisa, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So Lisa, what I want to do today is for anyone that's tuning in for the first time that wants to get to know you is let's take it right back to the beginning and give those people an idea of what made you fall in love with film and documentaries and everything behind the camera. So do you remember, was it from a very young age that you remember being obsessed with TV or certain films or was it a bit later on in life? Well, you know what? I think I've always loved film and, but I wasn't one that was obsessed with it, but I, but it was very much part of my childhood and growing up. And, you know, I grew up in Italy and there was this fantastic old theater in Milan called the Angelicum. And that's where all of the English um, the English speaking movies played. And it was a big family tradition to go together to watch films. And, um, and then I studied and then, you know, and then I, of course I did watch more films as I grew older and, um, and I loved, I fell in love with near realistic films. That was for sure. And that was something that just marked me in a lot of ways with the creative way they put their stories together, but I've always loved films and, but I, I did come to filmmaking very late and I, I've been making films just for, 11 years, but I've, I love it. I really, really love it. And I think that late in life, I found my métier, which is a little odd to say, but it's true. Can you remember the stage or where you're at? I mean, you said it was just sort of 11, 12 years ago, but can you remember that kind of switch or that change of mindset or what it was that made you then go, I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. I, I'm sick of this. I want to get a camera and make a documentary. I want to make a film. I don't want to be doing this nine to five job or doing this life anymore. I want to change. 
You know, I think it was a couple of things. And what's nice about filmmaking um, is that it brings a lot of different skills together. And, um, and so there was, so you have the visual, which is, you know, I've, I've always really loved photography and looking at art is a huge part of my life and looking at it and studying it. And so there was also, so you have the visual and the creative part, and then you have actually the didactic part, which is the research, yeah. which, you know, I was an art history student and, um, and I actually ended up not working in art history when I graduated from college. I ended up working in um, fashion because maybe my energy was a little bit more fashion. And, um, and it just so happened that bringing those two worlds together of the research, which I really, really love to do and being very explicit about it and, and, and taking my time with it. Um, it just, there were things that it, it just worked well together. And it was really through the Deanna Vreel and the I Has to Travel pro project that all of a sudden it just came about because I was really doing a book. Yeah. And then somebody, and it was actually someone's, it was somebody who suggested, they said, well, you know, why don't you do a film? And so it was someone who kind of urged me to do that. And, and all of a sudden I said, God, this is really great because you can, you become a storyteller in a, in a different in, in a very different way. And I discovered that I really like doing it. And it also gives me the chance to, I'm really curious about so many things. And this really gives me the chance to learn. I mean, the year's 2011, you're sitting there, you're deciding to do this documentary, just literally mentioned it, Diana Vreeland, uh, the I has to travel. Now, with this documentary, most people would want to start getting into it by maybe trying to write it and then getting a production team or would want to be included in the cinematography or just the editing but you bit off quite a lot you wanted to write it you wanted to produce it and direct it which with full respect is a hell of a lot to ask of someone especially for their first proper go at it but you did it and you did it well so what was it that kind of inspired you to take on all those responsibilities? Was it the fact that you wanted to just make sure that it came out the way you wanted? Well, I guess, you know, that's a very nice way of saying, are you a control freak? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does, is anyone else ever allowed anywhere near you when you're working? But, you know. I mean, that was very nice the way you yes. said that. Okay. But, um, no, you know what? I think that. I think, first of all, yes, you can control your project. But first of all, you know, there are a lot of players in this because, yeah. yes, yeah. I'm a writer along with also the editors. And uh, but the fact is, is that um, I do produce these because I realize I'm kind of can get things done. Yeah. And and, you know, we really had it was a very small team for Deanna Freeland. I had somebody who I was working with, a DP in Paris. I was living in Paris at the time and we traveled all over the world. The two of us. He did sound. He did picture. And we just, it's about getting it done. And then I had these two wonderful filmmakers who are very, very talented. And, you know, I, they actually went to Columbia, the, the very prestigious Columbia Film School project was Fred Chang and, and BJ Perlmutt. And they edited and they also, so then they co-directed co it with me because they, they really knew the ABCs of all of that. But I mean, I have certainly gone on and directed and produced all of my movies and I am there in the edit room, but you know, let's not forget. I mean, this is, it may be my idea to make the movie. It's, I always do the research. I have this incredible team around me of people yeah. who work with me. And, you know, I have been working actually with the same, with almost the same team since the very beginning. You know, I work now with Bernadine Kolisch, who has edited my last three films, including this most recent, Truman in Tennessee. 
And, um, and they're a huge asset. And I think that being, you know, I may direct and produce, but at the same time, I, gosh, I let all this talented team do what they're supposed to do best. I can't pretend to be an editor at all. And no. you know, no, when there's certain filmmakers who they have an idea and they can sit down and write the most brilliant treatment. Yeah. Okay. That's not me. It's definitely not me. What I do is that I do my research. Um, I this, and as I'm doing it, the story starts to unfold. Visually, it's also unfolding. I'm understanding what I want to shoot, especially when there's not talking heads involved. And um, and then it really comes together in the edit room. We do not have a script when we go into the edit room, but we have a lot of material, so yeah. much material. And and so really, it's working together with the editor to that makes it come together. But. That, that's what's nice about filmmaking. There's so many people who approach it in different ways. And you know, I didn't go to film school, so I'm, no. I'm still learning. I have a takeaway in every film. And that's amazing. And, you know, the, there should never be a point when you think you've learned everything. And the fact you've been doing this for over 10 years now, and you've got, I think, five or six titles under your belt. Documentaries I find fascinating. And the world seems to be falling in love with documentaries more and more. Mm. You know, Netflix yeah. every week now is not advertising big blockbusters. It's advertising crime documentaries and real life murder documentaries. And I absolutely adore documentaries. I can find myself getting totally absorbed in it and just lost for a few hours. Now, when you went into the decision to make these documentaries, were you a big fan of documentaries at that point? Were you watching them all the time? Were you getting DVDs and Blu-rays and, you know, being obsessed? Or was it just an idea, like you said, to instead of telling a story via photographs or through a written medium like a book or a brochure or a magazine, did you just want to then put this into film or was it a case that you just knew that documentaries were for you because you were such a fan? You know, I, no, I, so I wasn't such a fan. No. Okay. No, not at all. And, and no, 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 because I really watch movies much more. Yeah. And, and it's really came out of my desire to tell characters these great character stories and, and to be able to enlighten younger generations about these incredible figures who I've done, you know, from Deanna Vreeland to Peggy Guggenheim to Cecil Beaton to Truman Capote yeah. and Tennessee Williams. And, um, and it's almost my chance to be able to redefine them for a younger generation. But yet at the same time, I also have this, I have to pose the challenge to myself that, you know, all these other people who are really familiar with these worlds, I want to show them something new. I want to show them some new material, whether it's visual or if it's the something by, by that they that my characters say. And, um, and so I really, it, you know, it came from that. And I've, and, and what's been so nice is that, so I mean, I've, I've obviously done, feature films on people who are no longer with us yeah but i do also you know i've done shorter uh i have i had a shorter series that was called art of style uh that was this streaming now on amazon which was just so great because it was about different creative forces who are living today and um and it was so nice to be able to actually work with living with living subjects and it was a different way of telling the story but it was really it just gave me kind of a, a, a comfort to work on shorter material as well so it, it's it's really nice and and I think that one thing that I've just I've discovered is that everybody there's so many different storytellers and when I go into an archive and I I, I read the material I'm obviously not the only person accessing the material because there could be a curator, there could be writers, there could be perhaps even another filmmaker. And what's so interesting is that we all come out there 
with a different story sometimes yeah. because we have a different way. And that's what's so nice about documentary filmmaking. And what I find really fascinating is trying to get the amount of archive footage and materials and everything that you've got down to a realistic time frame to watch. Because some documentaries, you know, I, I know that they're releasing a documentary this year on the Beatles. And you think, how would you get sort of 30 years career and all this amazing footage down to sort of two hours or even three hours for the fans that are obsessed? But you've got this Truman and Tennessee documentary just under an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. You must have had a lot of time spent in the editing suite cutting this down and trying to get this cut because surely the amount of footage that you get for such huge, iconic American artists like these guys to then try and whittle it down. Was it frustrating at times to think, how do I leave this off or how, how do I chop this bit? Of it? How do you get so particular in the fact that you can say to yourself well this is secure this is sacred but i i have to let this go that must be really strict of yourself well you know i think that that goes it comes back to this idea of we we all tell stories in different ways and so we chose to focus on certain things and and in the case with truman in tennessee i knew that i did not want to show them in their more kind of the sadder phase of their life when they're older and they were drunk and they appeared kind of stumbling mumbling in these talk shows you know I really wanted their words to create a rhythm in the film um, and so I focused really only on first of all this David Frost interview which was just beyond brilliant it was yeah. so good and it was you know really it's it just it's really the launching pad for all of these conversations and and I think that you know in this case with this film I really wanted the audience to be, you know, we're just eavesdropping in on this private moment between these two great literary voices. And so it just, I also needed to have the intersection of their careers. So that gave us already a moment to be able to, to really focus in on certain things, but we had so many words we could use there. That's when you're using their words to tell a story, that's the moment that you really are, okay, What's the most like what has the most gravitas? Yeah. What's the most impactful? And it's actually quite fun to be able to have all of these words there on screen that you're because it's like, you know, I do all my research and then it's all in the computer. And so we're just kind of focusing on our favorite things. And we're like, oh, this is perfect. And it's, you know, I kind of feel lucky to be able to have this material. It's so juicy. And I love it. And, you know, the. <laughs> what was it that brought you to these people was it uh obsession with their work and seeing this david frost interview that you made you kind of go wow i need to delve deeper into this or you know how did it come about because i'm sure there's been many notebooks of yours with scribbled names on that you want to delve deep in to do a documentary on but what is it that makes it for you what makes it then become the reality and kind of green light it for you that you think right i'm going to focus purely on tennessee williams right now and truman capote what was it that clicked for you mm -hmm. well you know truman has been circling a long time or yeah. in my orbit because well first of all he's also was great friends with all of my past characters yeah so he was really good friends with with deanna Vreeland, and peggy and very very close to to cecil beaton and he was you know he actually almost maintained a friendship with all of them um and i originally was only going to do i i know i knew that i wanted to do something with with words yeah. and because all of my previous feature docs, it was very, it was also very visual. And, um, and I wanted the words to be, become the visual asset in the film. And 
I had decided I was only going to read Truman, but all of a sudden what happened was that another Truman Capote doc came out and I knew they were going to be very, very different, but I just said, you know what, you know what, this, it doesn't make sense. And my producer who I've worked with many times, Mark Lee said, you know what? No, let's add, let's put Tennessee in. And all of a sudden this world just boom, it opened up. And this is what, this is what's so nice when you're working with people who you're really familiar with. Yeah. And, and he's just hugely passionate about theater. And, and so all of a sudden I said, Whoa, because there was this, this, they just merged and they were, you know, because the world back then was so much smaller. And although Tennessee was older, it didn't matter. I mean, they, they were in, they were in the same sphere and there were so many moments that their lives were, uh, were, it was so close and it gave us this opportunity to tell their story, not in a bite because there was no intention on our part to make this a biopic. No. It was really almost a moment in time. And, um, and it was abstract the way that it was going to be done, but also what it did for me, it was, it was so nice not to have to be able to tell the story of somebody's life. Yeah. Just bring it up and show how their life you know, their childhood had an impact on who they became. And, um, and this was also, it's a sad story because it's, it's always about creativity in a way. Cause I, I, I certainly, I think that there's a common theme in my films that I'm always questioning the creative process and the impact it has on people and how it can be so destructive. And, um, I think I also question childhood and the impact of childhood. And if you come from parents who aren't there to love you um, that also, that's also something that yeah. totally changes and forms your life in a different way. And, and in this example, you have two men who were really destroyed by it. And I was going to say, you know, when I, you're one of the first documentary makers I've had on the podcast, and I find it fascinating because it's very different to just making a film and directing a movie with a script and a, a screenplay and everything else. But how do you know when the documentary is finished? Is there a point where you have someone that, you know, you go to as your kind of um, right-hand man that will give you the nod and the seal of approval when you know that's it? Because I talk to a lot of artists who are painters and I ask them, how do you know? And some of them are like, it isn't finished, but I had a deadline and I had a company I had to do it for and I just, that was it. But with a documentary, is there a point when you just feel that there's nothing else to tell in that time you've been given or is it just a case that you have to be so strict and say to yourself look lisa it's two o'clock in the morning i need to stop today and this this is it or how is it that it becomes a complete documentary no you know that it's it's a good question i was i actually i was reading this great book um by martin gaylord the man with the blue scarf where he was doing a sitting for lucian freud and and how painstakingly difficult it was for Lucian Freud to say that the portrait was done. Yeah. And it's so beautifully written. And I'm not, I, I, I wish I was Lucian Freud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, you know what you have, I mean, what's nice about these, about these feature docs that, you know, these are my passion projects. So I have yeah. the luxury of time, but I also, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of other things. I work on a lot of other projects and I, I want to get them done. I mean, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in my research phase. It's very clear what I want to get done. And then when I'm working with Bernadine, the editor, um, it, you know, it's, it's kind of clear what we want to do. And there is a certain point that, um, you know, story-wise, we, we're pretty much certain that we know when we're at a narrative lock, okay? In this case, what was interesting, because, you know, often I work with the estates of, 
whoever the estates, I mean, in this case, we had two literary estates and, um, and I never need their approval, but I always like to weigh in. I'd like them to just be happy with it. But the, all of a sudden there was a Tennessee Williams scholar, Thomas Keith, who kind of came in on the scene. I hadn't heard about him. And, and of course I wanted him to watch the film. And, um, and he, and of course, but was I nervous? Yes, okay, <laughs> because I'm not a scholar. <laughs> I'm not a scholar. And he weighed in on it. And first of all, he gave us some dates, you know, some, because he knew all of these things. So there's some dates that we had to change. And he was absolutely thrilled with it. And he didn't make any, any changes. He, but he gave us this letter that was so important that Tennessee had written to Capote in 1978 that I didn't know about it. Wow. Had. And it was so important to be able to have that. So, you know, going back, I mean, I think that we probably make more visual changes toward the end. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing that I'm just like, oh, you know, because I wanted to look. Because I also don't believe that I feel that documentaries should look cinematic. And we yeah. work very hard and kind of having a beautiful veneer of like, you know, images moving. And, you know, and that was, you know, we, we really wanted visually the film to look a certain way. Um, and so I don't know did I answer your question I think I, I did. suppose yeah it's definitely it's it's more of the videos <laughs> and the polishing at the end but you kind of as long as you've told the story or you've got the information captured you can feel that it's ready to then be released yes and we have a very good strong internal team of people who look at it but then you know I do do little kind of private screenings yeah with with people and they give um and it's kind of you know, it could be a museum curator, an art, like it's, it's kind of a, a very mixed group of people who are not film, just film filmmakers. I do the same with the podcast. I've got two very close friends and I send them the podcast before it goes out to the world and I kind of need their seal of approval because they're very honest, they're best friends and they'll say, mm, that bit didn't work or this is a bit long and do you know what, I trust them with everything. So it's kind of a close little circle that I keep very, very um, sacred to me. Well, listen, I'm amazed by podcasts because it, it's, it, I, I'm... I don't know how you guys do it. I mean, I, I really don't because I think it's the storytelling is so strong and um, and very and it comes alive visually and, and, and when you're listening to it, it comes alive in a completely different way. Um, so I'm, I'm very kind of surprised by this world and how how important it's become, but it's it's great. And you have a lot of work in front of you to do these. So yeah, it's a one man team as well. So it's a lot of work. And one thing I really loved about it is the voice work. And I'm a huge, huge fan of Zachary Quinto. I think he's amazing. And obviously Jim Parsons. Now, how did those guys get involved with this project? And it must be amazing to watch it back. And I can't speak highly enough of Zach. I think he's just incredible. Yeah. He's just, he, he actually was the first one who I approached. And, um, you know, I had, I was like a dream project to be able to have the two of them cast as these, as Truman and Tennessee. And, and I reached out to, and, you know, it's not like I'm in the business so seriously that people, you know, have, you know, have a very, I certainly have people who admire my film, but I'm not, I'm not anybody in this business. And, yeah. um, and I reached out to Zach's, a, um, to Zach's agent and he was really interested. And um, we had a Zoom call and he was just I mean, such a nice man and so complimentary of my work, which I was stunned with. Um, but he's a huge, he's hugely passionate of Tennessee Williams and, and an expert in it. I mean, but not just in only in his work, but in his life. 
and um, very, very supportive. And, and then, and so we were talking and I said, you know, well, Jim would be great. And, um, and I don't know if he can do it. And he's like, oh no, he goes, I'll talk. Cause they're, they're good friends. And the fact that they were both, they're both gay is really important because I think that there's a bravery in Truman in Tennessee to not shy away from it at all. And, no. um, and even though their family was not as supportive, um, they, but they didn't, they didn't shy away from it. And, I, and what's so great is that both Jim and Zach have been open about their, the fact that they're gay in Hollywood. And it's just kind of ridiculous that other people are, have not been open about it and they've embraced it. And it's been really important for, for the, for the world, for, for them to say, Hey, here we are. I mean, what's, <laughs> and they're incredibly talented and they worked really hard on getting the voices. And, um, and it's, it's a nice experience for me to be able to work with them individually also on, on it because yes, I'm directing them, but in a very different way than as if it was in a, you know, on a big film set. I don't, I don't think you could add a better couple of actors to give real authenticity to this. If you could give me a piece of paper now and ask me to listen names, I can't think of anyone better. And I really truly believe that. Thank you. No, I think that they were, they've been just so supportive. And, and I, I do have to say that I think that, COVID helped with timing. Yeah, definitely. And a question that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and it doesn't matter if they're a cinematographer, a singer, an artist, or a film director, but there will be people listening today that are going to be at film school or not at film school that want to do it like yourself without going to film school. Now, what advice do you give to those people? Because I have a lot of filmmakers on here that talk about their movies and how they get a script, but this is very different for you. What what advice do you give to people that want to make a documentary? Because I think we're in a place right now in the world where there is no better time. You can make a 4K video off your iPhone. You can get a team of people and teach yourself via YouTube. And I'm not saying it's an easy thing because it's far from it, but you've got the resources. 20 years ago, it cost thousands of pounds to rent all the equipment, mm -hmm. but you can do it from the comfort of a Mac computer and the right equipment. But what advice do you give to those people that want to become like you and make a documentary from start to finish and get it out there for people to see and hopefully achieve something that they set out to do? You know, I think that there's... Um... It's a, it's a good question. And often I have some, I get these emails from friends of saying, oh, somebody's doing this uh, uh, doc and can they speak with you? And I love, and I love to speak to, uh, to, to younger, the younger generation about this. And I have to say it's, it's perseverance. That's the biggest thing. And patience and being there and doing the hard work. And, you know, recently somebody said they had this incredible archive of thousands of photographs and they were going to kind of, I, I think they said they were gonna farm it out to somebody else to do. And I said, how could you possibly farm it out to anybody else to do? I said, how are you gonna, how are you gonna become familiar with the story? You actually have to do it yourself. And you have the time. I said, it's quite incredible how quickly you can go through material, but that you just have to be, um, you have to be patient. You have to be patient with kind of things that happen, which you can run out of money. You can lose, you know, and that's, that's probably the most common thing that happens is that you don't have yeah. the money to do things, which is something that is always a stumbling block, but you just have to believe in your project and you have to go through your material and be really detailed about it. So for me, it's about patience, honestly, especially if you're doing things 
that are really your passion projects because yeah. you just have to put your time aside and focus on it. And, um, and I know it's a kind of feels very like an old fashioned bit of advice, but that's a, that's something a lot of people don't have patience in this world because communication has, it, it's such a, people don't communicate. They don't, they're not face to face and it's nice to be able to do this and be able to watch you. I mean, there's so many people that the only way they communicate is through texts. Yeah. And I mean, and this is just about immersing yourself and, and doing and being patient with the process of doing this. I mean, I have a pile of 30 books on the corner of my table here where that I will be, that's my next film. Yeah. So that's, that's my work. And I just move when I'm done with one book, I put in the, in the done pile. Yeah. (laughs) And that's beautifully leads to my next question. What is next for you? And I I don't, I'm, I'm sure you can't reveal too much, but is now this is done, it's out there and people can go and see it. Where are you at? Obviously I've seen a pattern where you kind of do something every couple of years with all the research and work involved, but where are we looking now? You with COVID and obviously people having, more time and projects being able to kind of have that extra bit of time that you can commit, you know, because we are in at home a lot more than we were. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? Is there, you've just said there's a pile of books. Are you able to tell me the topic or who it's about? You, are you comfortable enough to share that? Sure. 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 I'm going to do Gertrude Stein. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Yes. I'm going to stay in the world of literature and um but her world is just so much more because it's what's nice for me with this is the intersection of the art world and and the writing and um so i feel it's a topic it's a rich story it's a very very rich story and um and it'll bring me back to paris wow <laughs> which is always which is always nice for me i was gonna say i'm sure you like nicely plan that so you can get some nice trips involved of course, of all, course. all work related obviously yes and my final question, and this isn't easy, and I put a lot of people on the spot here, but it doesn't matter who it is that's been on. It's always made the episode quite unique. Now, what I do on the podcast to make it a bit more special is every piece of outro music that I use on the podcast is chosen by the guest on the podcast. So as this interview is wrapped up, I'll do my outro and then we play a piece of music. Now, no two pieces of music have been the same because over 130 episodes, there's been 130 different guests selecting music. Now, I'm not going to give you too long to think about this because otherwise it will eat away at you and at four o'clock in the morning you'll shout out, why didn't I pick this or why didn't I pick that? And, oh, I should have done this. But when I asked you the question, what's one of the first pieces of music or first songs by a band or a song from a soundtrack, whatever it was, what's the song that means the most to you that you feel would be a perfect outro piece of music for you? That's That's a really good question and it could be a stumbling block. Um, you know what? I would say David Bowie. Um, is it the making of Americans? No, well, young Americans. Young Americans. I think young that's Americans. It. Yeah. It's just so beautiful, and it's 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 just kind of he captured this era, and it's um, and it's just this kind of brings you in emotionally, and I just love the sound of it, and I don't know, I can. That's that's just the first song that came to to mind. That's good. It's that's what you should do because if you think about it too long, you'll end up getting it down to two or three, and then you'll think, "Why didn't I pick this one?" But I knew when the moment you said David Berry, like, "Yep, that's the one." 
Yeah, because I think, I mean, yeah, I could have said like The Clash. I mean, there's like Heaven 17, yeah. you know, Depeche Mode, but those, that was kind of, those are my club years. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a choice. I was lucky enough to see David Bowie once at Glastonbury and he blew my wow. mind. So yeah, I was only, I was only like 17. It was the first time I went and I just, I wasn't really old enough to digest or appreciate that moment because obviously now he's no longer with us I didn't realize the importance of being in that field on that day you're a kid you're having a, a smoke and some drinks and just being like wow this is amazing it's David Bowie but I remember him playing Starman and I was just like I just couldn't believe it it was like lost for words I was like wow and then when he did pass I was like I'm glad I got to see him I know well, they're, 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 but that, that's the thing and I mean these great these guys that we actually because I don't think I never saw him in person and he would have been an amazing concert. But yeah. those are, you know, those are those things that like you think about the people that you're seeing. Like, I remember I met Francis Bacon and I was just like, on, I mean, it's always stayed with me. Yeah. And, and there are like certain things like that, that, you know, I'm not sure how much I'll feel touched by meeting somebody, somebody today like that. Yeah, of course. And, the only person I wish was Jeff Buckley. I just wish I got to meet yeah. Jeff Buckley and see Jeff, but that's just life and I just can't. But that's the one I'm always like, <sighs> if there's one person I could bring back or talk to, that would be him. Yeah, there's some, I mean, I have to, I think I've interviewed probably over 250 people. And the moment that I sat down with David Hockney, yeah, pretty, it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Pretty, pretty spectacular. And I was just on cloud. I mean, I, I think I was always, I've been in this, situation because i'm not as into talking heads these days in my no. films and um so i haven't sat down in front of anybody recently especially with covid and uh but there there certainly been moments that i have just said i should probably pinch myself because I yeah can't believe i'm in front of people so it's it's not bad as a as a job i have to <laughs> Um, but listen, thank you so much. You've been thank incredibly you. welcoming and uh, generous with your time. And um... it's, a, it's an absolute honor to have you on. And as I said, I think before we started recording today, it means a lot to me that you take your time out to come on the podcast. And I think it's really important to get more female directors, female, female actresses. And I just absolutely love today. I find it fascinating and I just can't wait to see what's coming next. And hopefully we can sit down one day and maybe you announce the David Bowie documentary. <laughs> 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 so there it is there's my interview with me and Lisa Imodino Vreeland honestly a great inspirational interview from start to finish and someone that inspired me and by the moment the interview finished I just wanted to go back and listen and edit it again it was such a pleasure to have her on the show such an insight into the world of documentary making and it's so new to Mark and me We've not actually ever had anyone that we can just sit down and break down about what goes in and how much work is involved in documentary making. It's so good and a massive thank you for her for coming on to the show. If by this point you still haven't been convinced, please go and check out the documentary Truman and Tennessee, an intimate conversation. It's absolutely fantastic and it's available now on all the sort of download and streaming services. You will not regret it. And as always, please keep the feedback coming. I love seeing people that go and check this work out and fall in love. Hey, and go and check back the previous work as well. Love Cecile, which is an amazing documentary, and Diana Vreeland, The Eye Has to Travel, which is, for me, one of her best pieces of work. Lisa's a genius, and honestly, you will get absolutely captivated in all these amazing pieces of work. I'll be back in only a few days' time, but before then, if you love the podcast, please jump onto markandme.com. Share it across your networks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
I say it on every episode, but it costs nothing to share it across your social media networks and makes a massive difference. And if you really love the podcast, please jump on and sign up to my Patreon. It's less than £1 a month and you're getting eight episodes minimum a month for that. On top of that, you can get episodes early. And thanks to my amazing friends at Vice Press News, they give some incredible posters away every single week. Thanks to those guys. The prizes are getting even bigger, even better, and more and more people are signing up and supporting me that way. All the money I make on Patreon goes right back into the podcast and allows me to stream on different networks. It allows me to go out and do more and more interviews. And it honestly really makes a massive difference. I have absolutely loved today's episode and I hope you have too. So until next time, please look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all soon.